Welcome back to the pub. Welcome to the United Pubcast. It is a special one because it is episode 100. Tom, my co-host, we started at episode one and we've made it to 100. That's a highlight. It's worth talking about. What do you think? How's the ride been? Well, I think it's the only highlight from today, I think. I'm with you. I mean, before we rip into the game, and obviously we're here to talk about the draw against Southampton, 2 all. Not the result we were after, but, you know, I thought let's just start with a positive vibe for this podcast. Um, looking back at our 100 episodes, is there a favourite moment or a favourite episode that stands out? Well, I just saw on Facebook just about 20 minutes before we went on air that it popped up on my Facebook sort of timeline where it has memories that it, it's a year to the day since we recorded with Stephen Housen in Perth um, over a few beers and a pizza. Um, so that was obviously a favourite or a sort of, well, a good memory of mine. Other than that, I think the Mark Bosnich one, episode 50, I think I recommend anyone to go back and listen to that. I thought that was an enjoyable one to meet up with him at the pub. And other than that, I think the Munich one, remember we did a Munich one in February. I thought that was um, an enjoyable one to do. And um, But I'd have to say my favourite might be the Alan Keegan one. I thought that was um, a really good listen. I really enjoyed that chat with Alan. Yeah, I mean, look, we've had so many good ones, and of course, we maintain a high standard on this podcast, and which which we always aim to do. And I say that tongue in cheek, but I mean it truthfully as well. Um, and I, to be honest, I think we're one of the best, if not the best, United content out there. But I'm not biased, and yeah, I'm with you. I mean, if someone were to ask me what was your favorite episode, I'd have to say Alan Keegan. Um, I really enjoyed Bosnich, obviously, because he gives you that insight of a player, and he gave us some stories that. Obviously, we hadn't heard of before, the links with Juventus, etc. But Alan Keegan, such good insight. And what a lovely bloke as well. Like, we got the chance to chat to him a little bit before we went live. And, um, yeah, just a real humble guy, a United fan at heart, um, and just someone who really embodies being what being a fan is. So it was fantastic to have him on. And we should aim to him and Brian again. I remember when we were just about to start recording there, when we pressed record for that podcast with Alan Keegan, and he said, welcome to the Theatre of Dreams. Like both of us just got goosebumps when he said it. Yeah, uh, we'll have to get him uh, to record something to welcome to the pubs of Pubcasts or something along those lines for this. But anyway, I digress. We're here to talk about the football match that happened today. So 5am for us Aussies. I've got some Chanel bags under my eyes. I don't know about you, but we watched Manchester United succumb to a 2 all draw. Southampton scoring in the sixth minute of injury time. United were down to 10 men at that point with an unfortunate injury to Brendan Williams. I guess we start with, what did you think of the starting eleven? Because there's been a lot of congestion around Oli trusting this side. It's obviously gotten us good results, but was it just one game too many? Well, I've been in the minority in recent weeks, and of course this is very easy for me to say in hindsight, but I have been saying over the last couple of games, I think this is the time to rest a player. Even just one or two, I've said, rest Bruno. There's been one or two other players I've just said, just not, not really drop them, just sort of give them an hour off the pitch. And I'm sure we could have, say, let's look at the Brighton game or the Bournemouth game. I think we can win that game without Bruno or without Pogba, without one of them, or bring someone in for Matic, or maybe Aaron Wan-Bissaka, who's looked a little bit off the pace in the last two games. So I've never criticised Oli for going with the strongest 11, because who knows, we might not have won those games, but I believe we would have. But I think it, it it was concerning, I think, because players have come off three months of no football straight into the heaviest fixture pile-up of their career. And I think this is inevitable that we did look quite lethargic this morning. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Um, let's just go start going into the game. Um, he did roll with that starting eleven, and one person who's been a highlight was Paul Pogba. But Southampton opened the scoring, and it was a Paul Pogba error, uh, giving away possession, not looking over his shoulder, sloppily. Sloppily, I should add. Um, I can't even remember who the goal scorer was. So there's how much I cared. But what did you make of the build up to the Southampton goal? Look, you can't get away from the fact that it's a poor Pogba mistake. He's at fault for the goal, and you, there's no de- no denying that at all. However, look, I've played in midfield. There is nothing worse. Pogba didn't want that ball. You always, when the goalkeeper has the ball, if you're in that space as a midfielder, you come towards the ball to show for it, but you don't want it there. You just sort of engage in defenders to try and bring them central so De Gea is able to play the ball a little bit wider. Now, look, Paul Pogba is one of the best midfielders in the world. He's probably a little bit more confident than me in receiving the ball in that area. But as soon as he receives that ball, it's a, I can't call it a David De Gea error, but De Gea shouldn't be playing him in there. Now, it's easy for us to say, oh, there was no communication. We can't tell that from a TV screen. But it looked like there was no real communication there. I think he didn't really get a shout. And look, it was, it was well picked. They picked his pocket well. So fair play to the defenders there or the attackers who rolled a pinch it from him. And yeah, look, Pogba was sloppy, no doubt. But um, I think the fault... Again, it stems from De Gea, um, unfortunately. Yeah, you could argue that um, De Gea played it to Pogba, who was under pressure. Um, but in saying that, I, I I think Pogba's the sole culprit for this one, or, or the main culprit, I should say. He he had to he had to be sharper, and I think throughout the game it happened once or twice. So yeah, yeah. there's no denying he's definitely at fault. I just think De Gea could have done him a little bit more, a little bit more of a favour there. I think. I'm with you. And it was Armstrong, the goal scorer for Southampton. So I'll put a little bit of respect on his name. Uh, sorry, no- Never heard of him. Yeah, neither have I. Um, but anyway, speaking of someone that we have heard of, though, is uh, Marcus Rashford. And let's talk about the build-up to that equaliser. Because what United have done since coming back from lockdown is they don't seem to be going into their shell when they're going 1-0 down. They seem to have that confidence of bouncing back. And the old Trafford faithful, mate, they turned up. Uh, uh, can I just say, Martial's build-up play to this goal I thought was fantastic, but I'll let you take it away. Uh, what did you make of the goal? Yeah, it was a good goal. I think it's a good one for Rashford because it looks an easy finish, and I'm not criticising the pass from Martial or the layoff from Martial at all, but it didn't really go into Rashford's stride. It, sort of, it forced him to sort of hit it with his left foot with the inside of his foot, where I think he would have rather sort of get his body around it and whip it with his right foot or even with his laces with his left foot. So I think um, Rashford did quite well. Look, it was an easy finish. He really should be scoring, and thank God he did. But I think he did have a little bit of work to do. But as you say, I think Martial's build up in the goal. I think who played the ball in? Was it Bruno played it into him or Wan-Bissaka? I think it was Bruno to Martial and then uh, Martial to Rashford. And and it was a very good touch in a tight area inside the box. It was almost like a bit of hold-up play, but so close to goal. And um, I think he almost, maybe potentially almost won a penalty or he lost his foot in. But um, improvised well to find Rashford's, and obviously Rashford did need the goal, and I thought Rashford went on to have a pretty good game. I'm with you, and again, talking about Martial, who was highly involved in Rashford's goal, he then goes on a whole, I don't know, two minutes later, and scores another weldy. Um, again, Martial just having that knack of putting, just cutting in off the left, and having that ability to really whip the ball into the back of the net. How good was this goal, Tom? Because seriously, I had creme brulees ready. I was ready to serve the whole country with him. Well, it's where I say where a couple of weeks ago where I say, Marshall, one week shows me signs of a striker, then the next week he shows me signs of a left a left winger and I can't quite make my mind up. 
Now, obviously, in recent weeks, he's really nailed down that number nine spot, but I think this goal just showed how complete he can be, that when he does drift wide, he has that attribute to go in and put it in the top corner. But again, I don't want to shift the focus from what a great goal it is, but again, I have... And it, well, two minutes ago, I was criticising De Gea, but I want to sort of go back and sort of defend De Gea here. We're talking about this Martial goal, and rightly so, we're saying, cut in, fantastic, giving the Ballon d'Or or Creme Brulee, whatever you're talking about. However, it's beating the goalkeeper at the near post. If that's De Gea at the near post, we're saying the keeper shouldn't be beaten at the near post. So I think every time a goal goes in against De Gea, we're pointing these flaws at them. However, look at this. Look at Greenwood when he's shooting and the ball's going in at the near post. We're saying what a fantastic player. He's going to be the best player in the world. We're not saying the goalkeeper's been beat at the near post. So again, I don't want to make this all about defending De Gea, but um, I thought it was worth note in my opinion. Well, I'm with you, but look, nonetheless, I thought it was a brilliant finish and uh, Martial continues his goal-scoring form. That's now 21 each between Rashford and Martial. And then, so that was right before the halftime interval and then, well, sorry, the, the drinks break, I should say, but then obviously we go into halftime 2-1 up and then the second half, I don't know what happened, but Jose Mourinho's men were back because United sat deep, they protected their lead um, if we go through the possession stats, um, Southampton actually ended up with more possession overall in the game, uh, 52.4%. Now, going into halftime, United actually had 60% possession. So that tells you what dominance Southampton had on the game. Uh, more shots on goal than United, more shots on target. Again, and then we just saw at the end, Brendan Williams gets a concussion. He, he replaces the injured Luke Shaw. And then he's come off. United have to go to 10 men because, uh, for those who don't know the rule, you can have five subs, but that's in three stoppages of play. And United had exhausted all of those options. And unfortunately, Tom, just take me through the goal and then we can dissect whose fault it is. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those goals and it's one of those ones where you, whenever it goes in against your team, you, think you can't concede from a set piece. But did we say that a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago when Bruno put the ball on Maguire's head away at Chelsea? We're saying what a fantastic goal this is from a corner. So it's again, you have to flip it in terms of whatever way you view it. I think it's just one of those. Everyone is pointing blame. They're pointing blame at Day. They're pointing Lindelof, Maguire. Personally, I don't think it's either of those four. I think, and I, I don't want to blame Matic or Rashford, but I think that is where the issue stems from. Yeah. I think Rashford's defending an area at the near post. Matic is also defending some free space. But a player, I forget which player comes in and gets a flick on, right in between Rashford and Matic. I think, well, there's two players there, two quite tall lads, who have one player to deal with and they've failed to do it. Now, people have talked about Harry Maguire marking Aaron Wan-Bissaka. That's nonsense. If you think an England international has chosen to mark his own teammate, well, football's not for you. And Lindelof, look, it's one of those. He's closest to the ball and the striker puts the ball in. They're saying if Lindelof should have been in front of him to cut that pass off or cut the flick on off. Well, if that's the case and the ball goes in behind Lindelof and the guy has a tap-in, we're then saying, well, why isn't Lindelof goal side? So I think it is just, unfortunately, one of those goals where it could be dealt with better than the near post. It wasn't, and um, you paid the price. But I don't think it's worth pointing real fingers for that goal. I think it's just pressure paid, and I think Southampton deserved it. Yeah, I said that tongue-in-cheek, um, just because if you go on a Twitter, you'd swear United are in the relegation zone. But um, it was... Um Obafemi for Southampton, and can I say, he is the closest thing to a human chicken nugget I have ever seen in my life. He's got the exact shape of a McNugget. I don't get, I don't get what McNugget. you mean by the chicken nugget comparison. He's got I've the shape of a McNugget, mate. Like, he's just so short and stocky, and if you he, if he just put a coating of flour around him and chuck him in a deep fryer, it'll just be a chicken nugget. No, each to their own. 
Yeah, well, you know, I'm just, I felt really betrayed because I'm quite a fan of Nuggets and it just made me really upset that they'd come back and betray me that way. But I'm with you. I think the issue starts with Maddich and Rashford. And, you know, initially I was angry at Lindelof. Um, but in hindsight, I think there's really not much he could do, right? Like, he's got a moment to react and the, the striker just gets a toe on it. Like, we're talking about milliseconds here. Um, and you're yeah, right. And every single replay we've seen has been in slow motion and from an angle which is not sort of favourable to the defender. But yeah, you play that in normal motion, it's split second reaction and it goes straight to the defender. Oh, straight to the attacker, sorry. Yeah, so let's rip into our three two ones. Um there was some high some high level of performance, some dip off of in performances. But who was your man of the match for Manchester United? Look, I don't think you can get it now in terms of conceding two goals, but if we won that match 2-1, I probably was going to give it to Lindelof, I think. I thought it was Lindelof's best game in a while. I'm still happy to give it to Lindelof. I thought it was fantastic. He cleaned up a lot of ball, um, handled everything perfectly, and I dare say you can blame him for the last goal if you like, but I'd say we'd be well behind if uh, he didn't have the game he had. He, he made a lot of clean-up work, and it was his best performance in a while, to be honest. I, th- I thought it was a game, and again, it's hard when you go on to lose the also not lose the game, but draw the game and concede two goals. So you know it's not a defensive masterclass by the two centre backs. But I thought, well, I don't think Harry, Harry Maguire I don't think was great today. I think the sort of they complemented each other a little bit. I think they were on the same wavelength. Um, a little bit tricky in terms of the way Southampton play. They obviously play with two strikers, so it was a little bit of a challenge for them. But I thought defensively as a pair, I thought they did all right, albeit we did concede two goals. All right, so I guess we're in agreement. Lindelof gets man of the match. Um, what about the two points? For me, it can only be one. I think it has to be the man who was involved in two goals. And it has to be Tony Marshall, because I thought he was brilliant. Again, I thought his all-round game has improved so much, particularly in the last few games, and he's just really starting to understand what is expected of him as a number nine. Well, yeah, I can't really argue with in terms of giving Marshall the points, but I thought... Could maybe make a case for Rashid. Maybe not so much on his actual performance, but I think it's Rashid's best performance since he's been back, and I think that was good to see. So maybe that has clouded my judgment a little bit, thinking Rashid was maybe a little bit better than what he what he was, but definitely compared to what he has been, I thought it was Rashid's best performance. And um, but in terms of Marshall's two goal involvement, so uh, maybe not. Maybe I can't argue with that. I don't think. Yep, I agree. You can't argue with that. Martial for two, and who gets the one point this week? I'd say Rashford, I think. I, I thought he was very good. I thought he was his most direct game. I thought he was trying to take his player on. You can see he is trying to link the play a little bit. I don't know if that's Solskjaer's instruction or not, but he sort of does have a few strings to his bow now. And um, I thought it was Rashford's best game. and glad he finally got a goal. Yeah, just for argument's sake, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I slated him for two podcasts in a row, but... I thought Luke Shaw played really well. Um, I thought he was... Yeah, yeah no, Luke Shaw, I think that was, again, maybe his best game back as well. I thought, and I, maybe that was with Rashford. I thought they complemented each other quite well today, which they kind of did in the second half against... Who was, who was our last game against? Uh, Bournemouth? No, not Bournemouth. Um, I don't know, mate. I'm, I'm running yeah, on... Uh, yeah, I forget it. Professionals here. Yeah, but um, I thought they in the second half in that game they started complementing each other quite well, and um, yeah, I think they've kicked on from that. That's just unfortunate. Luke Shaw looks like he could potentially be out for a little bit. Yeah. So, all right, we're giving it to Rashford then. We're going to be kind. Yeah, we'll go Rashford. All right, Rashford, it is. And Tom, I'll give it to you to go through our comments. Well, I'm just looking up who we played last. 
Um, Villa, of course, Aston Villa. Oh, right. So for the, for those playing at home, there is so much football um, going on. I honestly am struggling to keep up with the games. Like I just they're just every two three days we're having another game and it doesn't stop. We we obviously got Crystal Palace coming up. So yeah, no, it doesn't doesn't stop. And yeah, that's Friday morning, so only a few days. But um, so we'll go to the comments. Robert on Facebook says a knife in the heart. To be fair to the Saints, they deserve something from the game. They played well. We were like a tap today on and off and unfortunately more off than on. Not the first time we haven't capitalised on others' failed results. Too many lost balls in midfield today and stuffing around at the back. Stupid mistake cost us the lead. Then two quick fire goals got us back in position but couldn't hold on. The game could have been killed off with a few great chances, but I'm more disappointed with the midfield and defence. I hope Luke Shaw and Brandon Williams will be okay. His three points have been Martial for three, Rashford two, and Luke Shaw one. And he also said congratulations on the century of episodes. So thank you to Robert. He's been there from day one listening. So thank you for that, Robert. Um, George on Facebook also said, nice to see Rashford score from open play for the first time since his injury. Will only be good for his confidence. Sadly, we make too many mistakes playing out from the back and inevitably will be punished. He gave his three points to Martial, two for Rashford and Shaw for one as well. Josh on Facebook also said, always funny to see the inevitable, inevitable meltdown from fans after dropping points. We're practically playing two, three games a week with an unchanged squad, so there are bound to be a few tired legs out there and showed even in the Villa games. It says a lot that Ollie doesn't have the trust to rotate. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Um, glad you found it funny. Josh on Twitter, I found it absolutely miserable myself. <laughs> but um, on actually speaking of Twitter, I had two comments on Twitter as well. Um, Param, who's, all, who's a very valuable member of our FIFA Pro Clubs team, if anyone wants to join us on Pro Clubs, we need all the help we can get. So Param, if you're listening... Uh, we need a little bit more width in our team. He said, I'm in pain, man. I can't do Europa anymore. Very unlucky with the injuries. Substituting Pogba, Fernandez, and Greenwood now seems questionable. Could have pushed for a third goal earlier. And the last one from Damon on Twitter. There was a reason we'd never there was a reason we'd never played the same five Premier League games in a row since nineteen the same eleven in five Premier League games in a row since nineteen ninety three. We looked cooked. And I, th- I think that was my point at the start of the podcast, which I've mentioned in previous ones. I just felt I, I can't criticise Oli for going with that strongest eleven, but I think my sort of fears came um, true today. I think it was just one or two games too many. I think. Yeah, I'm with you. And with that, let's take a look at the Crystal Palace game. As we said, the games are coming thick and fast. And to be honest, this was the game I was sort of nervous about where I said, oh, maybe this is the one where, you know, we can get a draw if we just can get that win today. But obviously we didn't. And even Oli has come out and said that Friday's game is really important now. It's Crystal Palace, Tom, um, their form has been up and down um, again. So I'm just trying to pull up some of their results most recently. Uh, they lost 2-0 to Aston Villa uh, most recently. Before that, they lost to Chelsea, but that was 3-2. Uh, Leicester City had beaten them, and Leicester City are garbage. I mean, if you look at their form, yeah, I take it back. They've been awful. Um, they're, they're on a massive losing streak. What am I talking about? We should win this game. Um, they haven't won a game since lockdown, uh, since the football's returned from lockdown. Or So... Obviously, Wilfred Zaha is the one who stands out as a main threat. Um, but let's look at United a little bit. Um, do you think this is one where he has to rotate? Or is it almost a case of, I need to trust my best eleven? Yeah, well, it's hard now in terms of... I wouldn't say it has all come unstuck. But it's almost a little bit of a case of that. I think maybe he's, he'd be technically forced into a change or two. Who knows what's going to happen at left back? 
Um, I think Luke Shaw will probably definitely be out, but um, it'll be interesting to see what the medical staff make of Brandon Williams, whether it's just a cut and he can play through that with a headband, or if it's if he has suffered some type of concussion, he definitely won't be able to play. So if Luke Shaw and Williams are out, you don't know who plays at left back. Do you play Delow, who hasn't played a minute of football since football's returned? Obviously, Ethan Laird is in training, but he'd be the same case. It would be very unfair to throw him into that game. So it would be very interesting to go who's le- who goes left back. He very well go to back three. But then who do you play at left wing back? So I think we forced in a few changes. And again, I, I say at the same time on every podcast, I think you, ha- you have to rotate one or two. And I think the rotation for me on this one will probably be, maybe in terms of the way Crystal Palace play and Van Arnholt, their left back, who gets forward a lot. I might play James for Greenwood, give Greenwood a rest. And yes, I know Greenwood's fantastic. We need his goals. That's lovely. But he's 18 and we can't rely on him for everything. So I think James, in terms of he'll be able to, help, he'll be able to get back, he's obviously got a good engine to help Wan-Bissaka with Crystal Palace over, with their overlap with Van Arnholt. But then when Van Arnholt goes forward, I think James will have that space so that he can exploit with his pace going forward. Oh, it's a hard one because I just... I, I know he gets... I know Van Holt gets forward, but then I just... I just see the way teams sit back against us, and then the thought of Dan James going against the defence that sits back just gives me nightmares. Um, it's not his strength, and that's not a criticism of James. I just don't think he's developed that composure in his game yet to unlock a defence. But, look, it's, it's definitely a decision for Oli. I'll tell you, I would love it if he gives, gives Ethan Laird a chance. I think this guy is super talented. I think he's much better than Delo. Um, but do you think? But do you think that's fair to throw him into a, what is now almost pretty much a must-win game? Yeah, mate. Look, for his Premier League debut. Do it. Do you think Why that's not? Fair? Yeah, because he's surrounded by a lot of seasoned professionals. It's not like a Stana where you're being surrounded by lots of inexperience. You've got Harry Maguire. You've got Lindelof next to you. You've got David De Gea. You've got Rashford ahead of you. I think there's enough experience in that team to guide him through. And we're gonna have the, a lot of the ball. So. You know, if this was against Chelsea or uh, Manchester City where you're going to have to be defensively on your game, then yeah, I'd understand that. But I think in a game where you're going to have a lot of the ball, I think it might actually be a good opportunity for him. And I think he's capable. But again, he's only been in training for just under a week now. So be interesting to see what Oli does there. Obviously, there's Diogo Delo, which we've all forgotten about. But uh, yeah, be interesting to see. And But I think Rashford, Martial, Pogba, Bruno, do all those start, particularly the midfield, Bruno and Pogba? Bruno particularly looked exhausted today. Yeah, well, I think that was always going to be the case with Bruno, which, again, I said at the start of the podcast, but I think maybe Matic, and again, I think Matic has um, he's done well against Palace previously, obviously scored his fantastic goal against Palace, so it's one of those teams that, um, or if I was a manager, that, that's something I'd do look at, and Ferguson obviously was always fond of that. If someone has a good record against someone, one matters fantastic against Palace, and he's got a handful of goals and big goals against them in the past. And maybe he's an option on the right if you're going to potentially drop Greenwood. And as I say, they sort of play deeper. Um, one matter might be a little bit of a threat there compared to Daniel James. But in terms of midfield, look, did Fred and McTominay do enough when they came on? Maybe not, but um, you can't really blame them too much if they're only coming off for 20 minutes, half an hour every couple of weeks, every couple of games. You can't be too critical of them. So maybe there's one rotation midfield, but it would be a flip of a coin of who it would be. I think Matic comes out. Um, I think this is the game where you rest him because that's just a lot of football. You can't ask a 31-year-old to play three games in the space of seven days. I think that's insane. Uh, well, just over seven so days. McTominay or Fred? 
Oh, that's a hard one. I'd choose Fred, just because I think Fred progresses the ball better than McTominay. And I know that seems harsh, but unfortunately for McTominay, I almost feel like that Tottenham game, when Matic came on and showed his quality on the ball, I feel like that's almost... I feel like that's almost sketched into Oli's head because I know it's sketched in a mind. I remember seeing the quality of our game change when Matic replaced him. And I think Oli is now almost hesitant to use McTominay in that role because he sees that he just doesn't have that quality on the ball. Um, are you with me on that one? I know that might seem a little controversial. And again, that's not me going hard on McTominay. I just don't think he's a number six. I've removed that idea from my head. I think he's purely a number eight. And... I just don't see him getting ahead of Pogba and Bruno in this team at the moment. Yeah, well, well both of us have been very clear from the start on McTominay. We both absolutely love the guy. However, if you're going to sort of dissect his game and his ability as a footballer, he's quite quite the way down in regards to the ability of some of our midfielders at United. Like, I'm not saying he's a better footballer than Andres Pereira, but if you look at technical ability, Pereira is a much better footballer in terms of on the ball. Um, McTominay obviously has a lot more to his game, which makes him a complete better player. But um, yeah, in terms of his ability on the ball, McTominay is good. And we probably don't give him enough credit. I remember when he was in his fine form earlier in the season, we probably had to give him sort of a little bit more credit. But yeah, you compare him to our other midfielders in terms of the way we can move the ball. Um, I think that is where McTominay is let down a little bit. You know where I think McTominay will play? And I know we've kind of digressed a little bit, but that final game against Leicester, now that's a game for Scott McTominay. A game against a team that likes to counter and run a lot. That's where he thrives, and I think that's where you'll see him utilise. But we've also got the FA Cup around the corner against Chelsea, which I'm sure we'll dissect after the Southampton game. And Tom, on that point, I think that's a good place to leave this episode. Um, Again, episode 100. Thank you so much to our loyal listeners. We're going to keep growing. We're going to keep getting bigger and better than ever. We're Australia's biggest Manchester United podcast. I think that's important to highlight. And hopefully we can get a special guest to celebrate this um, in the off-season, in the three-week off-season, which we look like United may have. Um, But, Tom, thanks for joining me as always, and we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Pleasure. Cheers.